And welcome to another edition of Hoops Adjacent. I am David Aldridge in D.C. In L.A., my man Waz Lambre. Waz, how is it, sir? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, you know, <laughs> things are slowly, quote unquote, opening back up. But um, I'm I'm happy. I'm in good health, good spirits, and uh, you know, just maintaining. So, so Waz, real quick before we bring Coach Nurse in, as you go, as you see the restaurants being brought back online and you go out about your business, any new shape door poles that you've run into? I'm just curious. I just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, have. <laughs> I have not seen that yet. Yeah, Cause you know, it's, it's free. It's rampant throughout the country. New shape door poles. Everybody has one, right? <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll leave that to another guy. Let's bring in our guest. <laughs> Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to the comment is. Jason on the Athletic Podcast Network. I turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs and just like the bullshit and the braggadocia. I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than Shaq. David Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then he yes. had their lungs out in front of everybody on TV. Michael was not your friend. It was popping enough. Bosnia Lambre. So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship money that can't pay for the charters for the water polo <laughs> in Iowa. Welcome to Hoops. Five, four, we have ignition. Our guest from the defending NBA champion, Toronto Raptors. I was admonished years ago not to say world champions because they're not the champions of every team in the world. And this guy would know because he's coached around the world (laughs) before he landed in Toronto. Nick Nurse, coach, thank you for joining us, sir. Hey, David, thanks for having me. Wow, it's nice nice to get to talk to you guys, man. Um, Happy to be here. Man, so... Nick, physically, are you in Florida now? You, I know they landed uh, the teams there. I don't know if you had gotten yep. there as well. Yeah, we are. We're in Florida. We're in uh, Naples slash Fort Myers. And um, just kind of starting our, our workouts, getting guys back on the floor, doing a lot of COVID testing, as yeah. you guys know, yeah. uh, here for a while, and and then keeping ourselves pretty, pretty sequestered at, at the hotel. Does it feel surreal in any way being – back on the floor with all of this kind of uncertainty surrounding you well it's, it's strange david i think uh feels good to be back on the floor man you know just just walking out there and hearing the balls bounce is is uh you know that's a that's a good feeling you know um on one hand and then yeah it's it's a little um there's some anxiety around you know you just you just we're going into such an unknown territory here and you know, uh, every every day you get tests, you you think about, man, I hope I passed it. You know, you're <laughs> when do I get my results back? You know, you know, it's kind of on your mind, and right. and um, it, I, you know, all the social distancing. You go you go uh, look at our our ballroom where we're eating, and there's you know big huge tables all over this huge ballroom with two seats at each one. You know, it's there's there's some things that feel feel strange and look strange and are strange, but but we're 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 trying to get to our goal, which is get to Orlando healthy as possible and get these guys back moving around a little bit at the same time, you know. Coach, what was your sense of uh the, the group's sort of feelings about coming out? Because um, you know, I'm not around you guys a lot, but from the outside looking in, it seems like that group is really united 
and together, like from the way that they play to the way that the messaging is always this is always um, in line with one another when they talk to media. Um, what were your sense about how the guys felt as a group about coming back? Yeah, it's, it's really good. Was I, it was like I had you know a bunch of Zoom calls with them as we were leading back into the decisions, and I, I sensed I didn't sense one percent of anybody that didn't want to come back. I mean, our mm. guys were were really eager. Um, they, they were, uh, great. And they look fantastic. I mean, physically, everybody looks just fantastic. So guys. So Mark Gasol. Yeah. Oh man. He's looking like a Calvin Klein model. (laughs) He's got muscles, right? (laughs) (laughs) He's got muscles, man. He looks, he looks great. Um, and and all of them really, uh, Kyle looks amazing. And just, you know, just the eye test, all the guys look great. And, um, I think you're right. Waz. I think our guys are, are aligned. It's a group that really plays together. And, and I say that all the time about them as a coach, you know, people asking me in the middle of the pandemic, you know, what, what's it feel like? I said, man, I miss coaching this team. This team is, un, you know, you don't, you don't get this every single year in your coaching career where you get a group of guys that you just love being around and you can't wait to get to the next game. And, and, um, certainly miss that and that that's a credit to our players and our leaders leaders on our team and and organization as a whole so nick walk us through what it's what what the daily routine is going to be like because you're only going to be around a couple of guys at a time right so how is it going to work (laughs) yeah these are the these are the longest days and in, in NBA practice history right now for the coaching <laughs> staff because <laughs> you got you got one guy at a basket you're allowed one guy at a basket with two coaches um, you're allowed four guys in the gym so literally we bring in four players and eight coaches and and then we got a set time and they clock runs down and they go at it for like an hour 20 minutes just just one-on-one shooting ball handling skill work um, and they leave and uh, cleaners come in and clean everything and put those balls away. Players are assigned their own ball for the whole time they're here. Nobody else uses that ball. Uh, two balls, actually. And then um, the next group of guys comes in a little bit later and you roll it until you've seen every guy come through that 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 wants to get shots up for the day. And, and then, like I said, the staff ends up being here from really early in the morning till almost early evening to get it all done. At what point do you think you guys would get to a point where you're working in a manner that you would in, say, September of a regular NBA seasonal start um, in training camp? When do you think that that point will be for you guys? Well, uh, those things are those things are moving the dates and things like that, I think, a little bit all the time. But as of as of right now, we, we really won't be able to do that till we get to Orlando. So so this week's actually you know, primarily a testing week and, um, it's voluntary workouts for the players. Right. They, it, but, but, uh, they most of them are coming, you know, every day to work out, uh, next week it becomes mandatory, but still under the same, same guidelines. I think it may go up, a a coach or a player per basket or something, but, but not very, very much further. Um, but we don't really get to start doing uh, group activities until we get to Orlando. So I guess that's when we'll start, start back in as as per normal are, are how how are the lay how's the layout of the gym do you have you have two courts you have four courts how many courts are, are there for you yeah we well we've got uh i think there's eight baskets in total but there's kind of four i would say four 
pretty spacious full full half courts. Okay. So we're just we're just using those and it's it's spaced out really good. Yeah. So Nick, you've got the best guy I think in the world um in terms of Alex McKechnie when it comes to physiology and body understanding the human body. And I just wonder what your conversations with him have been like the past few weeks as you as you talk about how to gear your guys back up. Well, they've been most of them have been really good. <laughs> <laughs> Couple stressful ones. Well, you, know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know how it is. Coaches, coaches want the players to play, and uh, no, but no, you're first of all, you're right. Uh, obviously, spent been a lot of time with the Lakers and Phil Jackson, and um, then has been with Toronto here for a number of years, and and a real pioneer and a real thoughtful guy. So he's he's uh, really good at you know uh, getting our guys peak condition at the right time and taking care of them, getting them through the rough patches and stuff like that. But no, it's been solid. We've, we've literally been on the phone. Uh, geez. I, if I had to get three times, four times a week for a couple hours each, each time, you know, going through everything, getting it all set up. So we spent a lot of time uh, planning all this stuff and, and, and making it right. And like I said, our, our number one goal is, we, we don't, we don't, we think the basketball part will be fine. we got a pretty experienced team and we just want to make sure we get to Orlando as healthy as we possibly can. You know, Nick, uh, I think about your team in terms of how hard they play because, you know, I'm here in LA and I was here when you guys made that road trip over here, you kicked the hell out of the freaking Lakers and gave the Clippers everything that they can handle. And I was struck by just how hard these guys play. Um, and I know like somebody might hear that and think, well, no, no does the NBA people. No, like this team's effort level, like their ability to sustain it is different from most NBA teams. So, you know, a lot of people are worried about COVID health related stuff. I'm thinking about just physical exertion from going from whatever guys were doing at their house to the level at which intensity wise that your team is known for playing um, with. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Really good, really good thought. Really good question was, uh, I mean, listen, um, fortunate enough to go through the full experience last year. And, um, and you're right. I mean, the, the level of effort and how hard you have to play when you're in the playoffs and then when you're in the finals, um, man, it's, it's up there. I mean, it is up there and it's a long way from where we, where we sit today, right? It is, uh, just because of the circumstances, uh, I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping that the couple of weeks practice and the three scrimmage games or preseason games and eight regular season games, there'll be a buildup to get there. I think it still is a, a, a long duration. I think there's time. I guess I'm more concerned or, or my thoughts keep thinking of, you know, what if, you know, if, if there's a positive test and the guy's got to sit out for two weeks, right? I mean, how do you, how do you, get, mm. you're trying to get them in shape and now they got to go back right. to doing virtually nothing and then bring them. I, it's going to be tricky. And I, and I think that, you know, one of the first things I said to my, my team this week and to my staff, especially is we got to get all 17 guys ready. We, 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 we may need, you know, you, you know, yeah. you usually get to the playoffs and you're talking about eight, seven and a half. Sometimes, you know, you're playing big minutes for guys. I said, we got to get some role for everybody. Cause we don't, we have no idea who we may need to use and, and, and what I, I would say that 
looking back through our season, we, we've had a number of, of injuries, right? So we've, we've played almost all of our roster in critical times. You know, uh, one of our two-way players, O'Shea Brissett, played like 16 straight minutes at, at Boston when we played the Celtics. And mm-hmm. he, he'd hardly played for us before. Played the end of the third and all through the fourth. And, and so we've gotten a lot of our guys all the way down to like number 15 or 14 or 15 in the games. And, and in critical games because we've had so many, you know, four or five, six guys out at a time this year. So we have gotten a little, gotten their feet wet a little bit, uh, know who they are and what they can do. But like I said, I, I think we're trying to get our whole roster ready to possibly hit the floor. So that means my man Malcolm Miller from Holy Cross might get some run, Coach. I love this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he might. He might. I tell you, Malcolm's. Hey, he's done a pretty good job for us. You know, we. I know you know this, but we've actually started him. Yeah, started him a few times over the last couple of years, and and uh, one time we started him at Indiana and said. Not only are you starting tonight, you get a guard, Victor Oladipo. <laughs> Good luck with that. And he went out, yeah, he went out and did a great job. He did his length. He's kept in front of him. He did a great job. So Malcolm's Malcolm's a great dude, as you know. Yeah. So you you, it, you mentioned the the need to kind of ratchet up, and this is so unlike anything else because the you know the NBA regular season is what you use to get your team ready for the playoffs, right? And so. You don't have that right now. You've got eight games, but it's essentially, you know, preseason to get their get them back into some kind of basketball condition. So, how, what's the what's the kind of jerry rigging that you do to kind of try to get them as ready as quickly as possible for that high intensity playoff environment? It's a really good question, Dave. I, I think I think I'm kind of staying open minded about it. I think it's going to take a lot of feel. You know, it's not like you can sit here and say, okay, week one, we're doing this and week two, we ought to be here and week three, we ought to be here. I I think that, you know, playing it slow, you know, easing into it early, I think makes sense. Again, I think once we get to the scrimmages, I think limiting minutes early, you know, you just got to, you got to get them out there and get them moving, but, but, but not overdoing it early and then just try to extend it out a little bit each game for your main players. Um, get to a point when you start playing the, the eight regular season games. I think in my mind, I earmark maybe a couple there in the middle where we may push, push guys up towards, uh, you know, between 35 and 40 minutes because, you know, when you get to the playoffs, you're going to have some 40 minute nights from right. some of your main guys. Right. And, and, but then not overdo that either. Then maybe use the last three games to taper it back off or, or whatever, but as you can see, I'm all over the place <laughs> with my thoughts. But but I'm trying to get some together. Nick, I'm 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 actually happy you brought up the open mindedness, right? Um, I think because I guess it's my job too. I pay attention to people in my profession who I think pay the most attention to this stuff as far as coaching. And for whatever reason, the intelligentsia have decided that Nick Nurse is absolutely one of the best coaches in the NBA. And the reason for that is his open-mindedness, his willingness to just try stuff, right? Boxing ones in the NBA finals. Um, I think about when you guys traded for Mark Gasol, uh, you already had Serge Ibaka, and you were interchanging them as starters, like matchups specifically. And that's just not something you see in the NBA, like especially with veteran players uh, going with a press this season. Um, I just think, and I would agree, that's what separates you from a lot of risk-adverse coaches. Where do you get that from? Well, just tr- just my training, really. 
was. I think I, I coached in a, in a lot of, uh, well, small places, uh, all over the world. And, and, um, you know, it was really, I, I kind of call it, you know, a little bit, a little bit of wild, wild west. Sometimes, you know, you'd show up and you'd have, you know, you'd have three guys you'd never seen before and the ball was going up and you, you try, you know, you got to try to figure out how to compete to win or, you know, you're in the, you're in the D league or the G league and your roster's changed and constantly. So you're doing a lot of, you know, kind of, kind of mash 4077 work sometimes. And, and you come up with some stuff, you know, you try a bunch of stuff, but most of it doesn't work. So you throw that in the, in the in the rubbish bin as quickly as you possible then you find a couple things at work you tuck it away goes into your toolbox and then you try to have that mindset of of you know convincing your players early hey we may do some unconventional stuff see i'm glad you you brought up the the convincing stuff because it's one thing to have the the ideas but it's another thing to get buy-in as a first year coach and you're coming from the G league and this is a veteran team. How do you even, how does that happen? How do you just come in and say, we're going to do a boxing one. We're going to run a press. We're going to do all of these different things. How do you get buy-in from a veteran group like that? Well, again, I think you try to communicate that to them early. I mean, literally before, before day one of training camp, you know, you, you go in and, and you give your kind of vision for the season and you say, uh, you know, I'm a new coach here and, and I'm going to do things differently and probably some stuff maybe you've never done before, but, but listen to me, I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying to figure all this stuff out to give you guys the best chance to be successful. It's not just to be different. We're tr- I'm trying to figure out stuff so we can all win right. and, um, and, and, and tell them too, like, I'm not going to always be right. You know, I'm going to get some of this stuff wrong. And as soon as I get it wrong, I'm going to, I'm going to get out of that defense or that coverage or that offense or whatever as quick as I got into it and, and then go to the next thing. And I just think that again, like, you know, the box and one thing's a, a really good example. I, I, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't, I didn't, it just came to me <laughs> right at that moment. I'd used it several times, but, but, you know, I, I showed it to Kyle in a timeout. I drew it up and I said, Hey, listen, Fred's going to go face face to face with, with, um, Steph Curry and you you're going to be here and this is what it's going to look like and he looked at the board and kind of said looks great (laughs) he kind of of stepped into the huddle you know kind of said that to the rest of the team this is what we're doing and and all of a sudden you know you get buy-in from your leader and and Mm. um yeah that helps right you know and Kyle of course plays so amazing that that helps too you know Nick I gotta I'm I'm always this what you guys did in the finals last year was amazing to me, and and Waz yep. just brought it up. But to just have the balls to have that idea, and and to be, I'm going to sell this idea in the middle of the finals. I'm right. going to sell this idea, <laughs> gunslinger. Yeah, I mean that just that had to come from well, somewhere. Where did that come from? Well, I would I would say like like first of all, the game the the reason you're going to that like for me, my reasoning is is the game was was getting away from us. We, the rhythm was all golden state. It was game two. Yeah. And you know, I take a timeout doesn't change, change the rhythm. I, I change the matchups that doesn't change the rhythm. I take another timeout and I'm finally, at, man, I gotta, I gotta get this thing swung somehow. And it's almost like, this is my last kind of, kind of shot. Here. You're like uh, Carlisle using all Rick Carlisle using all your timeouts yeah. earlier. Right? And it's, it's like uh, Waz mentioned the full court press, you know, we're down 30 going into the fourth quarter against the Mavs this year. And, and, you know, you're about ready to 
to to throw in the towel. You know, you probably got a game coming up the next night or two nights later or whatever, and sit there and time out. And I say, listen, we're going to make one last shot out of here, and here's what it looks like. We're going to go. We're going to press them right out of this fourth quarter. It's their ball. And, you know, and, and of course you steal like the first two or three and you got, you got the juice flowing and you've taken 30 to 20, 22 really, you know, in the first minute or something or minute, not 90 seconds. And now you've got some momentum and it, you know, it's got, some of that stuff's got to work. Like, I think, I think Steph might've turned it over his first two times in the box and one or something. So it was like, okay, that, Mm -hmm. that, that helps. Right. That's kind of fortunate breaks. And to me, what you're talking about is confidence. Um, because you know, I, like if you were an NFL coach, Nick, you would be the guys that go for it on fourth and two all the time. Right. Like right. it's just like it's just a confidence that my team is we're going to get this thing done. Like, all right, we're going to do this. I better work. All right, let's do this. I better work. Um, How does an NBA coach build confidence? Right. Um, It's a profession where I think you're rewarded for conservatism and just sticking with. Whatever it is is the most controversial. Would draw the 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 least amount of questions after the game if it doesn't work out. And you've developed the confidence to try shit that if it doesn't work out, whatever. I tried it. Um, how does a coach develop that confidence? Again, another good question. I think I think you gotta you gotta understand that there, there's a certain level of heat coming when it doesn't work, and you're and you're willing to just go through that, right? I mean, like like you said, you go you try something. Uh, you do something, something happens that, that, that was a mistake and you're going to that press conference and you're going to take some heat and you're going to start taking whatever, a lot of external heat for the X number of days. And you got, you got to be willing to know that like, okay, you know, I, that's, that's okay with me. I understand it's like part of the job. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let that affect trying to make the right decision or rolling the dice a little bit. You just got to kind of say to yourself, well, I'm going to get some heat for this one mm-hmm. and uh, still, still focus on doing your job. You, your, your background with all of your stops, uh, with, especially with the G League, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious if you're, you know, <clears throat> you mentioned it before, you lose in the G League, you lose half your roster in, in three days. It's just how the G League works. And you have mm-hmm. to kind of put a new team out there the next day. Does that, how does that influence what you, potentially may see in Orlando in terms, whether it's injuries, COVID, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. I think, I think again, it was really good training ground, David, for me. Um, it's helped, it's helped me this year when I show up and three or four guys are out and you just, you've been through it enough to say, I like, like, I'll be honest with you. My first year in the D league, I was like, Oh my God, I was so uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, Oh my God, I don't know how to handle this. This is unlike anything I've ever done before. And then I kind of decided after my first year that, that you weren't going to survive in the D league unless you were got comfortable with this, mm-hmm. that you accepted it, that you, that you just took it head on. And, and I kind of flipped it and said, this is incredible. Like learning experience, like, like you can get your team to understand their roles and develop some chemistry mm-hmm. and you kind of get to play out your season that way yeah. well, on the D league. You're going to do that for about, eight games right. then, you get it, then you get you get the experience of doing it all over again so you're doing it several different times and it becomes a valuable tool in your in your um you know in your arsenal of coaching that that you have to be able to go out there and say my goodness i'm missing my two or three best players but you know what we're still going to find a way 
we're going to find a way. I, I believe in this guy and this guy, and it's time this guy gets a chance and it's going to provide more opportunity for this guy. Let's, let's throw it up and see what happens. Let's go. You know, you know, I'm, I'm happy you brought up a lot of this G league stuff because, you know, people don't realize you're coaching in the G league, but the, the, the environment and the context is so much different than the NBA, but it's obvious that um, you're able to diagnose that in real time. Um, my man, Amin Al-Hassan, talks about um, a time that he went down and he was watching you coach one of your teams, and you coached your guy to make a certain defensive rotation that just would never happen in the NBA. And he's like, coach, you told him to do X, Y, and Z, and you were like, Listen, it's the G League. That guy's going to shoot the ball every time. <laughs> and, and so I just find it fascinating that you're able to diagnose these um, contexts in, in real time. Is that just like, I don't know, what, 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 what about your approach allows you to do that? Well, I think just um, that, that's a really good example, my man. I mean, too, uh, I, I, you know, like... Um, just making some contextual relation, you know, you, you, you watch a, a G league game or D league game back then. And, and guys are a touch more selfish, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're trying to play their way out of there and they right. think they're going to do it by, by scoring. And, and you kind of talk to your team in real, real talk about, Hey, listen, this guy's really good. He can really drive it hard, you know, to the rim. And, but I tell you what, he, he, he I haven't seen him pass much. So once he, you know, let's, let's all converge on him. Let's, mm. let's, send the farm and, <laughs> right. and, 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 and you do it a few times and he starts turning it over. And then you guys are saying, man, that was, that worked good. And you know, we're out the other way scoring and it's just little things like that. I think that try to make adjustments for it. I think lots of that, I, I don't know, you know, being a head coach and that league is, I, I, I love that league. I think anybody that gets to be a part of the G league or D league can really benefit from it. So back to the NBA, um, you and Milwaukee are basically the two best defenses in the league, and you both allow a lot of threes. Um, has that been a conscious decision? And if so, how have you changed the mentality where it's like no threes, no threes, no threes, to where you guys are just like, all right, go ahead. Um, I think I know what you guys are doing, but um, has that changed? How, why has that changed? Well. Um, I think that again, a lot of it, um, I, I just don't think you can stop everything. Right. And you kind of got to prioritize what as a, as a coach, maybe you're comfortable with. I think, I think it's, you know, I think you got to be, uh, willing to give some things up to take some things away. Right. That's like, we talk about that a lot. And well, y'all don't give anything up at the rim. Well, <laughs> We're trying. We're trying to. We th- we think the rim's a pretty good shot, so we we don't want to we don't want to give those up. Um, so yeah. So and then it, then I think it links closely with your personnel. You know what can your guys do as well? And, I, and the thing mm. I find like the most interesting for me, and it's like the the funnest part of my job is like how each season kind of the roadmap. You know, you got you got an idea of the roadmap, but the but the it changes, you know, your, 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 your thoughts about what you're going to do at both ends of the floor, you know, at the start and through to the end, um, it's different from your plan. It's, it takes its own shape. And I think that's the part where you kind of got to start tinkering around with what fits your personnel, 
what happens when your team's big, you're playing your big lineup. Does mm-hmm. that change? What happens when you're playing your small lineup? Can you do some other things? And, and, uh, that's, that's like I said, the most interesting and fun part to me to watch how it change changes. Nick, you've got a guy on your staff and Adrian Griffin, who obviously is going to be a head coach really soon in this league. We all understand that. I just wonder when you knew in your heart that you were ready to be an NBA head coach. Well, probably, um, probably for sure that, I mean, I thought I was going to be a head coach the, the year I got the job, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be in Toronto. I, you know, there was like four or five jobs open and I'd, I'd talked to almost all the teams when yeah. the jobs were open. Um, I, I really thought that, that I was going to get the job, but I, I think, I think, uh, probably after a couple years, as an assistant in the league, right. I, you know, I kind of, I kind of, as a, you know, you know, David, I coached in England for a long time, the hot, the hotbed of world basketball. <laughs> I, I coached in, I coached in Z league and you kind of have this, this thing of, you know, Oh my goodness, this is like, it, that's like a whole nother world yeah. of, of excellence or intelligence or, you know, super coaching or whatever. And I think I got up there and, and found out that a lot of my beliefs kind of fit. Um, mm-hmm. I, they weren't agreed with. I, I was doing things. I think people didn't think, ah, oh, you can't do that. You know, you can't do that in the NBA. I heard, I heard that a lot, you know? Right. Right. Um, and then I kind of thought, you know, I think, I think I can, I think I can do this. I think I'm, I, once I got to be a little more comfortable around the, the team and, and how the NBA worked and got to know the, the players and the other coaches, how they maneuvered. I thought a couple of years in, I probably would, would get a chance, but also realizing I may never get a chance, you know, Yeah. either. I mean, I think, I think you gotta be pretty fortunate. The break's got to go your way. And, and I, I tried to kind of be comfortable with the thought of, Hey, I might be a 15 year assistant and that's pretty good. Like right. that's, that's, that's going to be an enjoyable way to, 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 to live life, you know? Hey, can I just ask you something? Just this is totally kind of off the beaten path, but you, obviously you did coach in England, and I've always wondered why is this, why doesn't it work there? It, it, so many other right. countries in Europe, France, yeah. they got a great program. Spain, Spain, they got a historic program. Germany's program's not great, but they've got good players there, and it, yeah. you know they put up yeah. these. Why doesn't it work in England? They got this funny uh, combination of, of problems. The infrastructure's not very good. There's just not enough places to play. Yeah. Okay. In general, it's, it's like, it's like hard work for a good, good 13 year old kid to find a, a, a good program to play economically. Right. Um, that's one thing. And the other thing is they've got a really, really some, some big fractions, I would say between like, um, the levels of play. So let, let me, let's give an example. It, It was really strange. It would be like, I was coaching in let's say Manchester, England, and we were the Manchester Giants, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the marquee team in the city played in a beautiful arena and lots of investment, good players, uh, all that kind of stuff. And then there'd be, you know, 10 or 12 of these offshoot programs in the suburbs and stuff. And, and those people really disliked the, the Manchester Giants. Hmm. It was like they did everything they could to like downgrade anything that the big clubs were doing right. to try and protect their own little huh. turf. Right. And it just wiped out a lot of the I think there's a lot of population but none of them would ever go to the games or none of them would ever like be huge huge fans like they should have been yeah and that's that's a that's a hard problem to overcome very yeah 
And Nick, you know, this conversation is going everywhere, which I'm 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 thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying. And um I just wanted to ask you about, you know, like the demographics of your roster. Um obviously you have a lot of black people, but you have a diversity of black people. Um I know that's antithetical to a lot of people's thinking, but like black people are very different um, across the board. Um and you know, I think about what's going on outside, uh specifically here in America and how top of mind that is for NBA players. Um I just wonder your level of consciousness um about that when it comes to dealing with your guys because it seems to me very obvious that you develop personal relationships with these dudes. Um, so I just wonder, you know, you're, yep. where you're at with, with all of this stuff. Yeah, well, let me, let me take you back. You're probably, um, you know, pretty well aware that, that this topic was, was heavy and continues to be uh, heavy uh, constantly right now, right? So we had a lot of, lot of uh, Zoom calls with the, with the coaching staff and players uh, you know, right, right, right after George Floyd situation and death. And, um, man, it was, it was nothing but, but just giving get the guys a platform to speak and, uh, ask them how they were and if they're okay. And if they needed anything and these calls would go on for, for hours, you guys, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Zero, zero basketball, yeah. like mm-hmm. none. And, and, um, a level of a level of sharing and a level of closeness, um, a letter a level of, of ideas, you know, trying to trying to get some action plans, push forward of what we can do and how we can all be better, how we can communicate and and what what we can u- use our platforms for, you know, and those were going on, you know, um, a lot. In fact, in fact, I'm, I'm I've got a I've got a meeting here. As soon as we're done here, we get back about five fifteen. We've got a team meeting. Um, about racial injustice, our whole our whole team and coaching staff were sitting down and, and going through some of these ideas and continuing to push forward about what we want to do as an organization um, once we hit Orlando, or or what what have we been working on? And so that that's one part of it. And I don't want to keep talking too long here, but mm-hmm. I also want to mention what the head coaches are doing, right. um, what what our organization is doing. So let's start with the Raptors organization. So as you guys know, they're uh, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment owns the hockey, soccer, yeah. uh, basketball, and, and uh, um, Canadian football. They're they're hiring at at the executive level. Uh, uh, I believe it's a vice president level. David and Laws, mm-hmm. uh, uh, vice president of you know equality and justice. Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs, within their own organization, are hiring at vice president's level of the same title. And so are the Toronto Raptors. So three jobs. Uh, at vice president level, uh, one within our total organization, and then those two specific ones. So uh, our owner Larry Tannenbaum's, you know, I've talked to him quite a bit. He says he's just like doubling all his efforts yeah. in, in this area. So that's good. Um, and I look forward, you know, to working really closely with with our new v- vice president there. So uh, the head coaches are really making some headway, uh, led by. Uh, Lloyd Pierce. Yeah, we had Lloyd on Hawks last week. Coach. Yeah, we had him okay. talk about so it. He, yes. So he's he's probably <laughs> shared with you a lot of stuff and and again, like me personally, like my job's to my job in front of my own team and in my own locker room is I think 
to try to get these guys involved in their own communities, mm-hmm. right? They, they all come from somewhere. They're all somebody where they came from. They all have a platform and, and I need to help them and, and try to share with them how, how to do that and, and push them forward to do that in their own local communities. And like part two, I always say, I, I don't want to sound like I'm a college coach here, but I got to get these guys ready for life after basketball mm-hmm. too. So they can continue to, to those platforms uh, and they can be ready to be coaches or, or announcers or uh, businessmen or politicians or whatever they're going to be. And so they can continue to raise that a level of awareness and platforms. And, and um, other, other than that, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on the 650,000 um, expats living in Canada and get those guys, get, try to get those people registered to vote in the upcoming election and, and help spearhead that process. That's great. That's great. Um, Nick, you know, oh, Dave, you want no, to go, go ahead. Yeah, you know, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about um, something related to this, too. And it's because, you know, I'm a New York City guy. And when you when you grow up in New York, you have some of your own biases, right, particularly about places that aren't New York. And, you know, if you ask somebody from New York about Iowa, it's like, you know, what do these cats know about the city game? What do these cats know? Yeah, and man. so, you know, I'm talking to Nick Nurse, who's obviously a basketball mind and, you know, a pretty slick, groovy cat as well. And so and he's from Iowa. And so I just want to know the, the convergence of things that had to happen in your life growing up in Iowa that, you know, drew you to basketball and made you the sort of person that you are today? Well, I, I say a couple things. First of all, thanks for saying all that. It's really nice of you. Um, <laughs> um, well, I went I went to University of Northern Iowa. It's where my mother went to school and a few of my brothers went. Um, started playing basketball. I jumped into the accounting program. They've got they've got a, a world class accounting program. So I said, let me let me go check that out. And it was going to be an accountant, go get a job, and and go on from there. And as my basketball playing career was coming to an end, uh, I started my senior year. I was like, holy smokes! I've like poured my last, you know, poured my whole life into basketball, and I'm going to have to stop playing here in a few months. Yeah. And I didn't like that feeling very well. So I I went in and said. Coach, I think I want to coach. I don't want to, I don't want to be an accountant. Uh, I want to coach. And, and he said, well, join me. Join me here as an assistant next year and, and see how you like it. And, and, then, and then I think the, the, the experiences of going over to England and Belgium and Italy and, and the international thing, I think it changed my perspective, opened my eyes up. Man, I always say I, I, I certainly – Loved, be, loved being from Iowa, very proud of being from there. But it was it was really a educational experience for me to kind of escape Iowa for, for 10 years and, and live and travel around Europe and play games in 25, 30 countries and, and, not, and seeing the world and meeting different people and coaching different personalities and all that kind of stuff. While I was, you know, I was kind of training myself at my, at my craft, you know, I was working at my craft. So along those lines, Nick, and I know I don't want to keep you because I know you've got you've got to you know get back oh, to okay. practice. Um, so when you, what do you want people in Iowa to hear from you when it comes to these issues of social justice and racism and and, and systemic racism? I mean, you have a you have a platform as well when you when you go back home. So what do you what do you want those conversations to be like? Well, I think that 
David, first of all, Iowa is not a, is not an incredibly diverse place, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think there's certainly a lot of education, communication, and, and being a lot more open that that it is not a diverse place, and, and getting these people to talk about how they feel. And again, I, I know everybody kind of says this education's a key, but you know, I would say that um, you know, Waz kind of alluded to it, like. There's, there's probably a lot of people from where I'm from that haven't had the world experiences that I've been so lucky to have through basketball. Right. And and trying to go back and, and share some of that and educate them and and um, go from there. I, I do I do say this. I think, um, you know, I talked to like you mentioned Adrian Griffin a lot, and he he always says it's a it's a it's a humanity problem, right? right. And I think right. I think that that. The people from Iowa, or some of the, some of the, they've got a lot of humanity. They're they're very nice people. They're very hardworking people. I think you guys have probably seen a lot of them taking the the, the high school softball players and baseball players taking knees sure. um, these, these past few weeks. And so I think there's a lot of good, and they want to do a lot of good. But I but I still think they probably need some experience and some communication and education. Do you still feel like, do you wake up in the morning and say, I'm the nurse defending NBA champion? <laughs> like, no, like no. a lot of times when I say it out loud to myself, I almost can't believe it. Like, the Toronto Raptors yeah. are the defending NBA championship. Does, did, like, has it even sunk in yet? Um, it's, it's sunk in, I think. I, it, it, it really didn't. Until probably this pandemic hit, and I'm sitting at home, and they're re-showing all the games and the parades, and I'm going Man. on all these all these Zoom television things to recap. You know what were you thinking here, and what were you thinking there, and all and all this stuff. But I, I, you know what? You know one thing I'm surprised at is this: is I thought coming into the season it was going to be a heavier burden mm. to carry, right. and I haven't felt any of that. Our team never talks about it. Are, they they really I, I just think we go out there and we play and I I thought like being the defending champs would come with it a lot more than it has and it's been really enjoyable I try not to I try not to I mean I look back on it with fondness of course but I I'm super focused on just trying to get this group to play even better and they have man they've been been so fun to to be around this team this year and I'm so proud of the way they played up to this point right do you even do you even to think about advanced scouting at this point. I mean, does it literally even matter what, I mean, you, there's no, there's no point to it. Right. I mean, you just, you're just going to see whoever you see when you start playing. Right. And you'll figure it out. Yeah. I think I'll be interested, David, and see if anybody spent this time, like, you know, just like flip flopping all the names of their plays or, <laughs> right. or you know, you know, yeah, or yeah. change it, you know, you know, they, they might've, you know, they, yeah. they might've, and I think it'll be interesting once you get there to, to do it. I'm, I'm not like a super advanced scout guy, though. I, I really like believe in we we've got coverages for actions, yeah. And we don't we don't we don't we don't need to know what you know what C roll down is that much. We we we've been through it, and we kind of know that that's a UCLA cross pick or you know or yeah. whatever. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, Coach, man, I think I'm. I, I, I feel guilty, so I'm gonna. I really want to let you get no, back to man, it's great to talk to you guys, <laughs> man. Great this to talk is this to you guys. incredible. This has been so much fun; it really has, and it's a pleasure always. I'm so happy for you, Nick, because Nick, Nick, um, we met each other when you were still in the G League. I think your first G League team, actually, before you got to uh, 
uh, Rio Grande Valley. And, and it was, um, it's always, it's been a delight getting to know you over the years. And I'm, I was just so happy for your success, man, and continued success yep. and safety down there. And, uh, I'll, I'll be down there at some point, I'm sure to see you. So, so good luck okay. to all of you, man. And yep. Nick, I'm, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, I'm not ashamed to say I root for you guys. And the reason is the second you traded for Kawhi Leonard, and while everybody was jacking Boston and all these other teams, I said Toronto is going to come out of the East. They're the best team in the Eastern Conference. And not only did you guys do that, you guys won the championship and made me look like a genius. And so <laughs> to this day, I still root for you guys, man. I got to root for my own vanity. So thank you. <laughs> all right, Waz. Thanks, thanks, David. All, all right, awesome, guys. Good Thank talking you. to you, man. Talk to you soon. Okay, guys. All right. All right. All right. Take care. Man, see, I, I think I, I'm trying to remember. I think it was with the Iowa Energy. I'm pretty sure. And I saw him in Vegas, Waz, at a uh, summer league game. And this had to be, I don't know when he was the coach there, but this had to be 2010, maybe, 2011. And, you know, you just meet guys and you just – there's certain guys you meet and you just go, wow, that guy seems really interesting. Like, he seems like he's really got – his shit together. You know what I mean? Like, like he's yeah. been, he's got a, you know, he's, he's got a good sense about him. You know, you just remember those guys. I don't know. It's weird. I can't describe it. You know, um, I remember Mar uh, Mario Ellie was like that when I first met him as a player and he was just a guy on a, you know, just coming through on a 10 day. And I was like, that guy's got something. He's going to be around here for a minute. You know, you just get that feel about some guys. And, and Nick Nurse was definitely one of those guys as a coach that I thought this guy's going to be in the league someday because he just got this great this way about him. I can't even describe it. Like he's just like a real positive guy, and 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 he's the same guy he was that he was that he was when he was in the D league. So I'm and, and you know what? The thing about NBA coaching, David, is that you can have all your X and O's and pie graphs right. and charts, be as smart as you want to be. But if you can't effectively communicate that to the people you work with every day, right. none of that stuff matters. That's and right. it's obvious that Nick Nurse has figured out the people part. Um, and obviously he has the bas basketball acumen to to um, to match it. And so, you know. Dope talking to that dude, man. Yeah, no, no. I could talk to him. I really could have talked to him for another, you know, 25 minutes or so. Easily. I, I, wanted, I didn't want him to get back to what he was doing down there. But uh, thanks for everybody for listening this week. This was a fun one. And um, we will be back next week. Uh, please leave a review if you follow us on Apple Podcasts. Five stars are always preferred. I believe that Athletic still has a 30-day uh, free subscription offer going around um, at least to the end of this month I'm pretty sure so check out the athletic everybody likes free David. everybody likes free if it's free it's for me so <laughs> check it out check us out and uh, we'll be back next week see you welcome to who the comic is adjacent on the athletic podcast network